Well, welcome to Life Church today. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you with us. And um, it's, uh, thanks for, for being here, especially on the beginning of this new series. I always like, uh, I don't like, like you, I'm kind of like one of these guys, I like fresh starts, like, you know, new series, new year, back to school. It's a new reason to get clothes. This is going to be my excuse to have a new, new diet, eat more. Anybody else, right, new series? It's the first of March. I mean, that means that winter is about to come to an end. <laughs> yeah, right. Right, it springs around the corner. What do we only have, like 12 more weeks of, of winter? And so uh, it's yay March. So uh, it's this good time. We're starting a brand new series called The Blessed Life. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me today to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to be on the screen. And then you'll be able to turn with me in a minute. We're going to go to Deuteronomy chapter 15, which is, uh, which is the, back in the beginning of the, new, of the Old Testament. So I'll get you that in just a second. But Luke chapter 6, starting a brand new series called The Blessed Life. And um, part of this series is coming from a book by a guy named Robert Morris, uh, who pastors in Dallas, Texas, a great church called Gateway Church. And, uh, and so he wrote a book called The Blessed Life. And so some of the things that I'm going to be talking about over the next couple of weeks, there's some thoughts and some ideas are going to come from here. Um, and, uh, and so I would encourage you, if you've not read this book, especially if this series speaks to you, to go back to guest services as you leave today and just pick this up. Uh, it's 10 bucks a copy, which is cheaper than what we paid for it, if that makes any sense. Um, and, that, and the deal is we just want to pass these resources on to you. If this this resonates with you, you don't have the book, go back and pick it up. It's 10 bucks. Uh, hey, you could buy it for 10 bucks and sell it for 15 on Amazon. Just a thought. But, but if you wouldn't do that, um, only my staff would do that. So, um, but, uh, but it's back there for you. And so some thoughts and some ideas are going to come from that. But it's all going back to how to live this life to the full. I've been in church all of my life. And, and, uh, and I see people in church get more geeked out about miracles than about blessings. I see people get more excited about miracles and the miraculous than I do about blessings. And there's a difference. The miracles mean that, that you're in desperate need of something. And many times it's things that you've done wrong that you need God to correct. Not always, but you see someone who has had poor habits in a particular area of their life. And so it's resulted in a particular uh, uh, unhealthy situation. And so they, they cry out, oh God, heal me. Sometimes there's things that come upon us uh, and that we encounter in life that we need help from. And, uh, and those are times, too, where, quite frankly, we, we need the miraculous. And I believe God does miracles. I, I believe God's the same today, yesterday, and forever. But there's a key, as you look at Scripture, that there are people who are always in need of a miracle. And you understand, and even with healing, all healing is temporary. Ultimately, we will die, the Bible says. There's a point in that every man wants to be born and wants to die, and then comes the judgment. So all healing is temporary. You know, all miracles in that essence would be, would, be, would be temporary, if you would. And that's great and that's awesome. But really, God has a place in our life that he wants you and I to be blessed. And I'm not talking about physical, materialistic blessing, although that can be a part of it. But I'm talking about living at the sweet spot of your life where he's called you to be. Where, where those fruits of the spirit of love and joy and peace and happiness and goodness and patience, those things, they're there in your life and they're working their way in your life. It's, it's, it's because the reason why we, don't, why we live an unblessed or an unhappy life is because of sin. Sin comes into the, into the play and when sin comes into the play, what happens? All of a sudden we find ourselves uh, uh, dealing with the weight of sin. We were never, we were never 
really equipped to do so and never really uh, created to do so. And, and we have to deal with this. And so Jesus says, God says, I'm going to send my only son, Jesus, and he will redeem them from the curse. The curse of what? The curse of sin and death. And he will give them life. John chapter 10, verse 10 says, and he'll give them life and life to the full. But I see very few people living life to the full in the church. It's this blessed life. And that's what I want to talk about for the next four weeks. I want to talk about some things. And really, it's just going to be for you to think about it, for you to process on it, for you to kind of go, am I doing this? Is God's, this is what God's Word says? And how is my life measuring up? And what are some changes? And I think over the next couple of weeks, you'll make changes. I think there'll be some course corrections. I think there'll be some tweaks. There'll be some things in your life that you'll go, I need to change this or I need to change that. And so I want to start today by giving you kind of an operating definition that we're going to work from for the next couple of weeks of what do I mean when I say blessed life? Okay, here's what I mean. A blessed life is living a life that is on the receiving end of the tangible and intangible favor of God. A blessed life is living a life that's on the receiving end of the tangible and intangible favor of God. You do believe in the favor of God, don't you? Man, I am totally a recipient of the favor of God. Meaning that that's undeserved. I, there's, I don't know how I got here. I really don't know. But God has given me favor. He's blessed me with, ta- with talent. He's blessed me with ability. He's opened doors. He's given me favor to, 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 to live my life. And so that's what this series is all about. So I want to jump right in in Luke chapter 6 where Jesus is he's in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Now this is the greatest message sermon ever recorded in scripture I think ever given and Jesus is addressing the attitudes and the actions of the heart and he's talking to people who call themselves followers of him and also people who are kind of kicking tires to go are they really going to follow Jesus so he'd be talking to a a weekend crowd at Life Church some people who are fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ and some people who are kind of going man I really know about this and if you are not a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, we welcome you. Uh, there's no, no hate. We're not drinking any haterade here, right? No hate. Congratulate. So we're glad to have you, and we're glad that you're here, and there's no pressure. We just want to give you an opportunity, just like Jesus did, to kind of look in on this blessed life, this life that's on the receiving end of the tangible and intangible favor of God, and go, do you want that? So Jesus addresses them in the middle of the message in Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 37. He says these words, Judge not. And you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you'll not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and you will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be given to you. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured unto you. Now I want you to notice that the subject matter here is all about giving. Whether you're talking about judgment, or condemnation, or forgiveness. Again, I didn't write this. I'm just going to tell you what he says here. And Jesus describes in this portion of this message, he begins to describe how giving works. A couple of things he says is, whatever you give, you're going to receive, verse 37 says. Whatever you give away, you you give out condemnation, you're going to receive condemnation. You give out judgment, you're going to receive judgment. You give, like you help someone, it's going to come back to you. That's not good karma. That's not Eastern religion. That's Jesus wrote that or said that, actually Luke, the doctor Luke wrote it, but Matthew did as well. But, but, but he says, whatever you give, that's what you receive. Okay. Secondly, he says there, that understand when you give, you're going to get it back. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. When you give, it's going to come back to you. 
When you give judgment on somebody else, it's going to come back. When you condemn somebody else, it's going to come back. Woo, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. When you give forgiveness to someone else, it's going to come back to you. Whenever you give, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter, uh, it's a matter of when, it's going to come back to you. It's kind of like planting, a, uh, taking an apple seed and, and planting it in the ground. When, it, when that seed germinates, when it dies in the soil, it germinates. When it brings forth a, a tree out of that seed, it won't just bring forth one seed. It will produce many apples that will produce many seeds. Why? Because whenever you give, you're going to get whatever you're giving. It's going to come back, Jesus says. How is it going to come back? Press down, shaking together, and running over. That's not a new dance, all right? Press down. Shaking together and running over. Now, let me, let me help you understand this. He's speaking to an agricultural crowd. They understand this. And they understand in the harvest, these harvesters, there would be two types of workers in the field. The first worker would be the worker that was hired by whoever owned the farm to basically come in and harvest the field. And they would go in the middle of the field. They would, they would go from the heart of the field. In the same way you would work and I would work in the harvest, it's hot, you're, you're collecting grain. You basically are collecting all the grain, collecting the vegetation, and you're going to take it back to the cart, take it back to the truck. I mean, today we use combines, but, but in that day and time they didn't. And they would do it by hand, they would take it to the truck. So the basket that you had, really, you would be better off to have more trips back and forth from where you're collecting the grain to the vehicle that's, that's receiving the grain uh, because it would be lighter than you would be to try to pack it down, then drag it along, and then try to dump it. So you're an hourly worker. It doesn't matter to you how heavy the basket is. It doesn't matter how full the basket is that's receiving the grain. Just get it in the basket. You get enough in there, go dump it, come back, do that all day long, and uh, you're going to get paid by the hour. But there was another worker in the harvest field, and that was the poor. And the way that the Israelites, the Hebrews, would do their fields is they would leave the corners or the outskirts of the field. They would leave them for the poor. And so they would allow the poor to come in that had no field to plow, they had no grain to eat, and they would allow them from the corners or from the outskirts. It's kind of like how some of you don't like crust on your bread. You know what I'm talking about? From that part of it. And they would, they would do that. Those workers would collect grain completely different because whatever they could pack into that basket, they got to keep. So when they would get it, they would take it and they would put everything they could in their basket and then they would push it down. It's kind of like if Kohl's has a sale and, and you get like 50% off of everything you can get into that bag, you fill the bag, you push it down. It's kind of like doing leaves, right? You push it down, right? So press down, then you shake it to get all the air out, everything out, shake it, right? And then you pack more on top until it's running over because there's a difference, the one worker is working for somebody else and they're trading days for dollars. But the person that's pressed down, shaking together and running over, they're going to live on what they're taking. Jesus says that you, whenever you give, you're going to receive like that person, like the poor person working on the corners of the fields. It's going to come to you pressed down, shaking together and running over, which means it's going to be multiplied to you. So, Giving is a heart issue. When you get down to it, when you talk about giving, whether it's condemnation, whether it's judgment, whether it's forgiveness, whether it's anything, it's an issue of the heart. It's an issue of the heart. So if you give judgment, you're going to receive what? Judgment. You ever thought about that? 
When you judge someone, well, I'd never do that. Girl, I cannot believe she is wearing that. When, when, when you judge somebody, how, how stupid are they to, to, to buy that? I, I can't believe they would spend that. I can't believe they would do that. Can you believe what they're doing? When you judge someone, Jesus says, be careful. Because in the same manner in which you judge someone else, it's going to be judged to you. And not just the same amount. Press down, shaking together, and running over. When you condemn someone, that's not my kid. Thank God my kid's not that stupid. Man, he is on a roll. Call him butter. He is on a roll. My kid's not that dumb. They wouldn't do anything like that. Be careful. Be careful. My kid's straight A's. My kids are this. My kids are that. My kids are... Be careful. My spouse would never do... Be careful. I can't believe they would be... Be careful. Because in the same manner in which you condemn someone else, you're going to be condemned. Forgiveness. You withhold forgiveness, and forgiveness is going to be withheld from you. Pressed down, shaking together, and running over. And here's some of you thought this was about a bigger offering. I'm not even taking an offering. This is Jesus. Not even, he's dealing with the issue of the heart. Because how you give, how you give judgment, condemnation, forgiveness, or anything. Skittles, M&Ms, it doesn't matter. Strips of bacon. How you give it is going to come back to you. Press down, shaking together, and running over. Well, I disagree with that. But well, then you take it up with Jesus. Jesus has his own. God is God at Hotmail.com. Jesus is Jesus at Hotmail.com. He's got his own email account. Email him. Don't email me. I'm just telling you, this is what he says. Matter of fact, when you look at the root word of forgive, for means to be in favor of. So the meaning of forgive is to be in favor of giving. Which is the key to forgiveness, isn't it? Think about it. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave. So God gave his only son, Jesus Christ. Jesus gave his life. We give our life to Jesus. And when we've been forgiven, we forgive others. We are in the favor of giving. And I cannot forgive someone unless I have been forgiven. I cannot give what I do not have. I cannot teach what I do not know. I cannot lead where I have not been. And if you're not in favor of giving, then you will always have a difficulty with forgiving people. It's the reason why People that have bitterness and resentment are stingy. And people that are stingy are usually bitter and resent. People that are tight as bark on a tree, come on, don't shout me down when I'm preaching. Good, don't point fingers either. It's not nice, you're in church. People that are like that, they have an issue. The issue is, is that they're not in favor of giving and they have a difficulty with forgiving. When you have a problem with forgiving, you actually have a problem with giving. It's reciprocal. Because in order to forgive, you must be gracious. In order to forgive, you must be generous. And so Jesus basically tells us, look, the blessed life begins with a heart. It's a heart issue. It's not a money issue. It's not a time issue. It's not a talent issue. It's not an educational issue. It's a heart issue. Are you sure about this, Pastor? Yeah. Let me show you this. Flip over to Deuteronomy, Old Testament, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter number 15 is page number 205 in my Bible, if that helps you at all. You go to the table of contents, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy is right there. Those first five books of the Old Testament are called the Pentateuch. So that, now you're religious scholars. Some of you say, I'm not deep enough. You can't even write Pentateuch, and I just said it. Holla! All right. 
Deuteronomy chapter 5, Jesus is speaking here. Not Jesus, God is speaking. Jesus, is not, he's in heaven. He's not yet come yet. I need to get my theology right, don't I? All right, God is speaking and God's given the law to the, to the nation of Israel. And it's interesting to me that in the law, of all the do's and don'ts, he instructs them on how to give. Because he wants them to be blessed. Because you cannot give, you, ca- you cannot give, you cannot receive if you cannot give. And he wants to open up the windows of heaven and part of a blessing so great that I have room to contain it. So he has to teach them. He actually has to put it in reflexively in the law. And that's what he's doing. So we're going to look at, at Deuteronomy chapter 15. If you want to read the entire book of Deuteronomy, you can. It's going to give you all this information. But we're specifically going to talk about how God's dealing with giving in the heart. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 7. If there's any among you, a poor man of your brethren, so it's a brother, Within the gates of your land, which the Lord is giving you. Okay? So don't forget, God's given this to you. You shall not harden your heart, nor shut your hand from your poor brother, but you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly. This deals with the attitude of the heart. And lend to him sufficient for his needs, whatever his needs are. So he starts here and he says, look, if you're going to live this blessed life, if you're going to do this, one of the things I want you to understand is you're going to have to be able to give. And you're going to have to be able to give to your brother, which means you're going to know his weaknesses and his strengths. See, we give to people very easily that we don't know. You'll give a guy 20 bucks on the street that you have no idea who he is. But sometimes when we know the, the, um, the issues of our own family or the issues of our close friends, we will withhold from them. And we won't really operate with compassion. And because of the fact that we go, well, we know them. And, and God says, no, 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 no. Your brother, whom you know, whom you live with, whom you're around, who you do life with. When they're in need, you need to open your hand and open it wide. Because God's going to bring you into a land. And don't forget, he's the one bringing you into the land. Let me translate that for you. Don't forget, he gave you the brain that you have in your head and the strength that you have in your hands and the ability to do what you need to do and the favor that you need in your life. And he's opened the door for you to live in the house that you live in, drive what you drive, wear, wear what you wear, work where you work and do what you do. And don't forget, he's God. Enough said, right? And so in all of that, if there's one among you that's in need, you need to do what? Open your hand and open it wide to whatever he needs. So he's dealing with the heart. And there's a couple things he talks about here. And, and, and so how to deal with the heart. How do we deal with the heart? He's going to walk us through this. Because I think this whole blessed life is fundamental to this. The first thing is dealing with the selfish heart. He's going to deal with the selfish heart. We're just going to keep reading right through Deuteronomy 15. Pick it up in verse 9. Beware, lest there be a wicked thought in your heart saying in the seventh year, the year of release is at hand. And your eye be evil against your poor brother and give him nothing and cry out to the Lord against you and it becomes sin among you. Let me explain what's going on here. Again, according to the law, every seven years, any debt that you had was canceled. Every seven years, any debt that you, anything that you lent to someone, they were free from that debt. Would that not be good? The problem with us is we'd swipe it all maxed out on the sixth sixth year. That's what he's addressing there. He says, look, I've already told you that if your brother comes to you in need, you need to open wide your hand and meet his needs. And if you're thinking, then he goes on in verse 9, that he comes to you and it's like the sixth year and the six months. And he's got six months to repay this bill and you know there's no way he can repay what you're about to lend him. And your heart will tell you don't lend to him because he can't pay you. And in six months, you're going to be obligated by the law of God to release him from your debt. It's a motive issue. It's why you give or why you don't give. 
why you withhold. He said, beware. Lest you withhold that from him, he cries out to God and God hears him. Why is this important? Because selfishness produces sin in our lives. And, and the reality is, is that God wants you and I to make sure that we crucify our flesh and we crucify our selfishness. Why? Because it's not the, it, the very nature of God is to be a giver. You understand that? John 3, 16, for God so loved you and I. That word so means without strength, without conditions, that he gave. He's a creator, we're his creation. He wants you and I as a father, we as his children, us to follow his example. And he loved us enough that he gave without asking anything. He gave without requiring anything that he gave. And the reason is, is he understands that in you and I, there's this selfish motive that says, well, what's in it for me? And what about me? And what happens to me? And I worked hard for this. And I I didn't mess up. And, And he's wanting to say, look, I'm a giver. I want you to be a giver. You ever thought about this? (coughs) excuse me, giving is never Satan's idea. (laughs) Satan never said, man, you need to help that guy out. Let me think about that for a minute. Maybe that was the devil. No, the Bible says Satan is a a liar and a thief. He's a stealer. Not a Pittsburgh stealer, but a stealer. You know what I'm saying? He's a stealer. And, and the reality is, is that so so to withhold, to pull back is, is never the image of God. And, and every time that we give, every time that we operate with generosity to someone else, every time we see a need and we meet it, we crucify our flesh. We crucify our selfish ways. Why? Because you and I are created with I, me, and my all in mind. We take care of ourselves. You'll take care of yourself or you take care of anybody else. That's the reason why the Bible says for you to love your, bro- love your brother as you love what, whom? Yourself. It's a great commandment. Because you're going to love yourself. Some of you really love yourself. Right? So he says, look, when you give, you give without selfish motive. The second thing is you have to deal with is deal with the grieving heart. Deal with the grieving heart. Verse 10, deal with the grieving heart. And you shall surely give to him your, and, and give your heart, should, should not be grieved, When you give to him, because this thing that the Lord your God will bless you in all your works and all to which you put your hand. This thing that's referring to your heart. Here's what he's saying. This is what he's saying to you. If I can get your heart to change, I can bless everything that you do. This is what God's saying to the nation of Israel. That's what he says to us. If I can get your heart to change, I can bless everything you can do. I can bless your finances, I can bless your marriage, I can bless your kids, I can bless your family, I can bless your business, I can bless your health, I can bless everything. If you can just give with generosity, I can do this for you if you will just change your heart. Do you know why we grieve after we give? You know what I mean by grieving after I give? You give to someone, you go, oh man, that's a lot of money, oh man. Was that really me or was that the devil? Oh, man, that's a lie. And some of you understand you've never really given extravagantly before. Some of you understand what I'm talking about. Or you've given literally your last dollar. Or you've cleared out the account to meet a need. Or you went above and beyond. You know why people grieve when they give? You know why people don't? Like the room, the oxygen gets sucked out of the room when anybody talks about giving. Because here's here's the reason why. Because we thought it was ours to begin with. 
I only, I, only, I only grieve over what I lose. And if I think it's mine to lose, then I'm like, oh, man, I lost 100 bucks. Oh, man. I gave away 1,000 bucks. Oh, man. I gave. Oh, man. When the reality is, is God is the owner. And we're simply the managers. And if you're going to live a blessed life, you're not only going to have to deal with your selfish heart, you're going to have to deal with your grieving heart. Because when you understand that whatever you have, you give as God directs, you understand you're just a steward, not an owner. Now let me say it like this. I was at dinner this week with a business guy that I know that lives uh, on the eastern seaboard. I was talking to him. I was calling him John. It's not his name. Let's just call him John. And I just said, John, your business model is phenomenal. Literally, John has set up a business. He's in his 60s now, and he's returning it over to his children. Very lucrative. Privately held company, worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And every single year, he takes, out, he takes all of the profits at the end of the year, and he gives it all away to missions. Everything. Everything. And when I say everything, I mean everything. I know of a commitment that he had this last year that exceeded $500,000. He didn't have the money. He felt like he was supposed to do it. He went to the bank just because of the sheer, his sheer personal wealth and got a line of credit for a half million dollars, sent it to the organization because I got a phone call and, uh, from, a, from a guy that was connected to that telling me of what, of what this gentleman had done. And uh, in January alone, he made, he, he made unexpectedly... This is not really unexpectedly because God takes care of it. But a million dollars just profit that was unexpected in a particular area. owns these multiple layers of this business. And I said to him, I said, have you shared your story? And he said, yeah, I've been invited to like Yale Divinity School and Harvard and a couple of other, you know, Ivy League East Coast schools to be able to talk about this. He goes, but I really get uncomfortable. He said, because it's really not me. It's just, it's really just, just doing what the Bible says. It's really obedience. I said, yeah, but I don't think most people realize it. I said, as a pastor, John, when I talk to people about money, they get funny when I talk about money because they think I'm wanting to get them to give me something. And, and instead of what, but you get it. And, and, and he said, but I, here's what I get, though. And he said, I'm trying to get my kids to understand this, that God owns everything. And if we just do what he tells us to do, he'll pay for everything. He'll do everything. He said, Aaron, you need to, and he said, he said I live a very good life. I have no worries. But he said, when I started this business on the West Coast years ago in my 30s and I got radically saved, God spoke to me and said, if you'll clear everything out every year and you'll trust me, I'll bless everything that you do. I have never been in need all of my life. I cannot give it away fast enough, he says. And he says, I'm trying to teach my children as I turn this business over to them. Because what they don't understand is that the secret of success is not about the strength of our product or the strategy that we have to market it. It's not about us. It's a fact that we really trust God. And he said, I really don't have a gift of giving. This guy gives unreal amounts of money away to missions every year. He said, I'm just obedient. He said, I don't know that I have anything to say. (laughs) And I thought, he gets it. This is it. This is that he's dealt with that grieving heart. He understands. Let me read this for you again. He understands this. That you shall surely give to him and your heart should not be grieved when you give to him because for this thing your Lord will bless 
all your works and all that you put your hand to. That's the blessed life. I'm telling you, if you met him, everybody in this room would go, dude, I like to have that life. I like to live where he lives. I like to ride in that private jet that he showed up in. I like to golf where he golfs. It boils down to you got to deal with the grieving heart and realize that what you have isn't yours, it's his. You're simply a manager, a steward. The next thing is you have to develop a generous heart. He goes on to say in verse 14, to develop a generous heart. You shall supply him liberally. That word liberally means generously from your flock, from your threshing floor, and from your wine press. For what the Lord your God has blessed you with, you shall give him. Who's he talking about? The person that's in need. The poor brother. From what the Lord has blessed you with. Notice that it all comes from God. This is how Jesus defines generosity. Luke chapter 6 verse 30. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away from your goods, do not ask them back. Develop a generous heart. Let me help you moms and dads. Generosity is this. It's a word that we use with our toddlers. It's called sharing. That's it. Isn't that what you teach your three-year-old? Johnny, share your toys. And what does he say? Mine. Mine. My, share. Mine. Mine. Share. If you don't believe me, just walk across and go to Life Kids right now. I'm telling you. It's being practiced as we speak. Why is that so hard for us? called generosity think about this if you really believed that it's not a matter of of if but a matter of when you're going to receive and you're going to receive greater why wouldn't you give everything that you have away because there's a lie inside of you that says ah there's only so big of a pie you got to make sure you get your piece. And I'm here to tell you, life is not like a pie. Life is like a Krispy Kreme donut line. There is more coming down the conveyor belt. The glaze never runs out. The, hot, the oil never runs dry. Woo, I'm preaching now. Hallelujah. All right, you know, so that set somebody free. And the last thing is to develop a grateful heart, he says. Develop a grateful heart, verse 15. And you shall remember that when you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command this to you today. Have a grateful heart. These are these issues. You got to deal with selfishness. You got to deal with, with, this, with this grieving, thinking that it's yours. You, you, you've got to deal with, make sure that your heart's big enough and that it's generous. But you also have to be grateful. And this isn't an option, it's a command. I command this to you today. And he goes back and he says, Israel, remember where you came from. Remember when you were in slavery. Remember where you were in bondage. Remember that God's brought you to this land. And I would say it like this. Remember what life was like before Jesus. Now, some of you in this place, man, you're, you're well off and you've been well off your whole life. And some of you in this place, you've, you know, you've never really had a need for want. But some of you in this place, you understand what I'm talking about. You know what it was like. You remember what it was like. 
I mean, I grew up in a working class home, loved my parents, great childhood, wouldn't give anything for it. But I remember when my father wanted to give us things that he didn't have the ability to give. And I remember wondering why my dad didn't get new clothes when we got new clothes. And as I got older, I realized how little money he lived on and how, really how God had blessed it. That he raised a family on not a lot. And I remember that. So every time I get to go or get to do or get to see or get to be a part of, I remember where I came from. See, for some of you, you, you don't understand this, but some of you will understand this. See, my parents were the first people in their family to graduate high school. I know some of you, you're very highly educated and sophisticated, and I get that and I respect that. But I'm the first one in my family to go to college and get a degree, get a college education. I'm the first one to go on to get a master's degree. I'm the first one to go on to be enrolled in a doctoral program. Not my family. So I remember. And so every time I get something or I have something, I'm very thankful. Because I know. I know the platform on which I stand is a blessing from God. I know the car on which I drive is a blessing from God. I know the wife and the children that I have are blessings from the Lord. I know that everything that I get, I don't deserve. But I am on the receiving end of the intangible, intangible favor of God. And I'm humbled. And I think the other thing is, is I try never to get over what Jesus has done for me. I try never to get over the fact that my life is blessed because of him. I try to never get over the fact that, 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 that my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. I try to never get over the fact. I was awakened this week traveling, I'm on the eastern seaboard and I'm, I'm traveling and, and I get a phone call, a text, I get two phone calls early in the morning, I get up and I, I, uh, uh, I call the person back and they're crying on the other end of the line and it was someone I've been praying for for a long time to give their life to Jesus and they told me, man Aaron I had this dream last night I had this dream that God was coming back and I wasn't ready and I'm completely freaked out and I'm crying out to God, and I, I, I've just awoken from this dream, and I called you, and I just want to know, will you pray for me, and will you lead me in the sinner's prayer? I just want to get make sure that I'm right. I want to make sure that I'm going to heaven. I want to make sure because I'm not right with God. What a way to wake up. I try never, 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 never to get so mature that I forget that and that I move past that. That's what he says. Don't ever forget that you came from bondage. Don't ever forget that you came from slavery. Don't ever forget that you came from nothing. Nothing wrong with being born poor, just something wrong with staying there. Never forget that you were born a slave. Never, nothing wrong being born a slave, just don't stay a slave. Nothing wrong with, with, with being born dead in your sins, just don't live life that way. Develop a grateful heart and understand it's God. It's God. So as I conclude today, I just want to ask you one question. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you? What's the Holy Spirit saying to you? Dr. Thompson Matthew, who is the, the, the dean over this MA program that I'm in, will teach and go on and on for about 30, 40 minutes and just wax eloquently. Then he'll sit down in the room. And, and this professor who, 
graduate from Yale and, 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 and just incredibly gifted individual sit down and say, now what's the Holy Spirit saying to you, class? And I want to ask you that today. What's he saying to you? Is it your selfish heart? Is it your grieving heart? Is it lack of gratefulness? Is it lack of generosity? Is it affirmation that you're living the blessed life? What's he saying to you? And I want to do something that I've never done ever as a pastor. I'm not going to pray. I'm just simply going to do this as, as the music's just playing very softly. I'm just going to ask you in just a moment to bow your head and close your eyes on this campus and on the West Campus. And I'm going to ask you to ask a simple question. I want you, with your head bowed and with your eye closed, just to say, Holy Spirit, what do you want you to say to me today? Holy Spirit, what do I need to learn today from this? And then I'm going to, at the Germantown campus, come back and close in prayer. And then Pastor Danny's going to close in prayer at the West Campus. Would you bow your heads with me today, everybody? Germantown campus, West Campus. And just a moment of silence and just a moment of reflection. Ask the Lord, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me today?